0: You're listening to The Lively Show, episode 184. Welcome to The Lively Show. I'm your host, Jess Lively, and this blogcast is designed to uplift, inspire, and add a little extra intention to your every day. Welcome to the show, guys. Thank you so much, as always, for listening. Today's episode is brought to you by Aptive, the on demand audio fitness app that combines the guidance of a trainer with the perfect playlist to give you a fresh way to work out. To get a free 30 day trial of Aptive, go to aptive.com. That's A A P T I V.com. Click on the sign up button and enter the code The Lively Show. At the end of the show, I'll be speaking with Active member Sydney Mann about the app. Now let's move on, today I'm in London, spending time here until the holidays when I will go back to be with my family in the States. I am eating as much Indian food at Deshoom as possible, finding as many friends I can get to take me to, and go with me rather, to Deshoom too, and we also just did a meetup last night. Thank you guys so much for coming out, and now let's move on to today's show. So today's show, guys, we have our very first guest from The Lively Show, Erin Lochner, back here on the show for a second time around. Erin, for those who are maybe new to Erin and you haven't heard that first episode, she is a major blogger. She's one of those bloggers back in the day that got things started in a huge way in the design world with her blog, designformankind.com. She also headed and started that online website magazine type format called Clementine Daily back in the day. And now she's also the mother of two little ones with a new book out called Chasing Slow. I'm not going to give you guys too much about this episode other than to say this episode is, like I named it, a magical hour. I know we've talked a lot about alignment on the show since this summer and how I've been focusing on alignment before action, and I can tell you that this interview, at least while I was recording it with Erin, was one of the most aligned situations in terms of interviewing I have ever experienced, and I think Erin might say the same for her experience being interviewed. I hope that that alignment resonates with you as well as you listen. We're going to go into a ton of different facets of life. We're gonna talk about allowing in relationships, nature socks, which is something I have a feeling many people will not forget after they hear this episode, and so much more. Let's go to the show. Erin, thank you so much for coming on the show again.
1: Oh my gosh, thank you for having me. I'm so, so, so excited. It's been like two years. You're episode number one, so I should know this. We
0: started February 2014. So yeah, two years.
1: Wow. Almost three. Wow.
0: By the way, and I said this to you earlier before we got on the show, but thank you for coming on the show, the first episode. I feel like having you on that first episode was huge for me. And at the time when no one really knew who I was, except for you know my blog readers, obviously, but not a lot of other people did, and you coming on and sharing so beautifully as you did just means the world to me. And I think it was, I think, just a reason that this this work has gotten out there in the ways that it has. So thank you, thank you, thank you.
1: Oh, my gosh. You're so welcome. You're so gifted at this. You're so gifted at drawing people's stories and making them feel comfortable and asking great questions. I mean, I feel like I always learn something from listening and being on your podcast.
0: Let's start with the story. I know many people have listened to that episode. However, others have not. So let's start with how you got to where you
1: are. Well, I feel like when we talked in that episode, I was probably the beginning of my sort of slowing down my life journey. I think I was stripping away a lot of excess. I was definitely reassessing my work life and work schedule. But I'm in this place currently where I've gone through the slowing of my life and the reassessing, and I'm on the other side of it. And the other side is understanding that it's not necessarily a curatorial experience is going to make my life any better. Do you know what I mean? It, you can work, 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 and you can live really fast, and you can speed your life, and you can pour your energy into multiple multitude of things. And when you decide those things aren't making you happy, it's, I think, human nature to reverse, right? You're going, okay, well, if if, if this isn't making me happy, I'm going to go the other way.
0: Yeah, equal and opposite reaction.
1: Yes, yes. So, I went complete 180. I'm a total extremist, right? So, it's all or nothing.
0: Okay, here, let's paint the picture for people that haven't heard of you before, because there probably are listeners that don't know who Aaron Lochner is. So, can you tell us what busy Aaron was like before and what you were doing and that kind of thing? What led to that life that you had before? Yes.
1: So, I started blogging in 2005, and it was just a really big, bustling time for bloggers. It was kind of at the beginning of the cusp. And Long story short, through a process of a lot of different partnerships and a lot of, I had an http.com show. I worked for a variety of publications, writing and, and creating content and shooting photography and things like that. So, definitely an, an online creative. And then I launched a women's lifestyle website called Clementine Daily. And that was probably the pinnacle of my busyness, right? I'm juggling a lot of things. I have a new baby at home and it was frantic. The internet doesn't sleep. You're trying to keep up with the pace of that. So, I would say that was the peak of my career trajectory and essentially, you know, like most people just reached a little bit of a burnout, but it was more of, of this intrinsic burnout. It wasn't necessarily all, I think, logistics. It wasn't the schedule or the, just the keeping of the pace. I think it was more the questioning of, is this the person that I want to be? Do I want to be telling people what to buy on the internet? do I want to spend all of my hours researching the latest trend in art or design or looking at 10 different sofas people should buy? And those things aren't wrong at all. Everybody needs that job. Like, it's a great job. I want to know what sofa to buy. But I didn't want to spend my hours not learning. Does that make sense? I, I didn't want to, to focus on that and spend time away from my child who was a huge priority and then come home kind of depleted because I felt like I hadn't furthered Myself as a person if that makes sense.
0: So up until that point it was feeling good 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 sofas are awesome art is awesome I love sharing this and then after you kind of had some I'm guessing level of mastery at it It was time for something new and growth and expansion was calling you in a new direction through the burnout
1: Absolutely, and I think what happened was you reach your peak I mean, literally, you know, you're on paper your career is in a great spot Suddenly, you kind of take a step back and you look at the landscape of it and you're like, "Mm, this is what I have to show for all of those years. But I don't necessarily like the person. I, I like the portfolio. Like, that's great. I worked really hard. I'm really proud of it. But I don't like the person carrying the portfolio. What did you not like about yourself at that time? I think I was just treading water. I didn't feel like I was moving forward in my real life. I was definitely moving forward in my online life, for sure. But, you know, when it came to taking time for the relationships and, and being a good neighbor. And you know, I, I was never home. I was never around locally speaking. I couldn't pour into local businesses or establish friendships. You know, I was always coming and going and very distracted.
0: Do you have any examples of something you were like, this is not the way I want to live, but that was what you were doing at the time?
1: That's a great question. Yes. So the way that our schedules worked out with my husband is I would take the morning shift because that was when, um, I think we talked about this, the golden hours.
0: Okay. Can we just go over that? Because I think that was one of the coolest things. And maybe you're going to have an update to that. Maybe the golden hours isn't cool, but please go into that because that's amazing.
1: It's the coolest. So my friends, Christine and Asha, they're, they're the ones who, they wrote a great book called Minimalist Parenting. And they are the ones who kind of told me about this initially and it is just the idea that everybody has a set time window, hour, time frame, whatever, it's morning, afternoon or night or it might just be, you know, a couple hours in the middle of the day and it's where you're at your most productive. But but there's a different kind of productivity, you know, there's like it's like a focused laser productivity. And it's about kind of protecting those hours and pouring into your work at that time. And for me, it is Absolutely, you know, 6 a.m. without a doubt. It's it's super early and quiet and dark. And that's when I function best and when I get my writing done. But the problem was, I don't want to call it a problem. This and this is the story that I need to tell because it's not a problem. But the issue for me was that's when I was taking the morning shift with my with our baby at the time. And so I was up, you know, rocking and feeding and playing and lullabying and all of that during those super productive hours and then i would just be tired by the time my husband would wake up to take over because he took the night shift and i took the morning shift and all of that so the shift for me was when we kind of we moved our schedule around and we reassessed and i started working really early in the morning and i loved it but before that happened i would find myself kind of rocking the baby looking at the clock thinking about what emails were coming in that i was missing thinking about how i was i I called myself in on a specific morning when I was talking to my husband, I called myself distracted. And I remember thinking, Wait, distracted from what? Because I was distracted from work, but certainly it should be the other way around. For my values, my value is family first, always. So it didn't make sense that I would be distracted from work because certainly work was the distraction from my value, right? So that was a really, it was kind of an alarm clock for me that just signaled, it's not that it's wrong to feel like you're, when you're not working, that something else is distracting you. I certainly still feel like that. But labeling my daughter a distraction kind of really, that one hit home for me for what I hold to be true, which is that, you know, Ken and I both firmly believe that this is our one shot. We got to get, we got to, focus. We have to focus on this, on on this child rearing and on this putting out some really great humans into the world. (laughs) And it's more important than the paycheck. It's the legacy. Yeah, absolutely. It's just, it's more important than the money. So that was a big wake-up call. I think just in the verbiage alone, and calling that what it is, I was—I surprised myself by that and thought, well, you know, okay, we've got to kind of regroup and let's start aligning my values with my calendar.
0: Yeah. So, what is the first step? So, many people, I'm sure, have had that moment where they catch themselves out of alignment with their values, and they might be wondering what your next step was. What did you do next?
1: Well, I—easy. I don't have a, a boss to report to, so I think it was fairly simplistic in that I just I kind of wrote a really long essay about how I was going to be slowing down quite a bit. And I was I called it slow blogging. It was in the New York Times later, just this this kind of I felt like a lot of bloggers were experiencing this wave of burnout at the same time. But the thing is, the readers were too, you know, the audience was tired as well. Pinterest was this fire hose of information and everything was kind of pointing toward more is better and, and we need more inspiration and more posts and you got to puff up your editorial calendar and get yourself on a schedule and and post more and be on every social channel. And I feel like we've come full circle in that. And, and people are kind of catering the channels to their audience and what their beliefs and their likes are. But at the time, it was really kind of a free for all. And there was a lot of go, go, go. So my response was, I'm not I'm taking myself out of the game. You know, like, I, I want to get back to Vlogging because I love it, not because I feel like I have to report to it, if that makes sense. So that was my first step. And I think it's kind of been a slow unraveling ever since I started. I would even setting work hours, you know, working out of the house, then coming home. And I slowly added in yoga for myself. I did a lot of self-care at the time. I did a lot of exploring, just as simple as asking myself questions. You know, what is fulfilling to you, you know, resetting the goal of at the end of the day, I want to be creatively fulfilled, but not creatively burnt out. I don't want to feel depleted at the end of the day.
0: Isn't that interesting? The verbiage there, I want to feel fulfilled, which is filled up versus depleted, which is empty.
1: Emptied, exactly. And sometimes they look like the same. It's really hard to know that it's almost as if once you tip that scale, then all the water pours out and then you're depleted. You know, like there was a really soft spot for a long time. I had to be very mindful in that for me, the balance is I want to write first thing when I wake up, not answer emails. Emails for me at that time were depleting, but the writing would fulfill me enough that I could deplete with the emails a little bit. And then, and then I was fine. There was still left over, you know, and I don't think it's a scarcity issue. Oh,
0: wait, I love that. Can we just go back there? Okay, so you just said, and this is such an interesting thing. Stephen Covey talks about doing the important but not urgent tasks. And that is for you, like the writing the essays. So that's what's really fulfilling. That's the creative spark, the source, the stuff that comes through intuition rather than the rational mind. And what you just said is that you found it better to start with that important thing that's not necessarily the urgent thing first, and doing that, you're using, you're tapping into those creative resources, intuition, et cetera. You get filled up from that, and then once you have that bucket, if you will, filled, you're able to then pour that out a little bit, not completing it entirely empty, but letting that pour out into other more managerial stuff after you've done that. Most people do it the other way around. It's so easy to want to do the depleting stuff, the rational mind stuff first that you have nothing left to give to the creative.
1: Oh, absolutely. Your well is dry. And I think that works for everything. You know, I think once you're tapping into that, whether you call it your calling or your intuition or your life love, you know, when you're in that, you're filling it up and there's so much more room available to let spill. There's there's more water. You know, you can let it spill out. It's no big deal. You're not depleting anything. It's an abundance issue, I think. And that's why the morning
0: is so powerful for people to find practices that fill them up first rather than going straight to their phones and checking the needs of others before they've done something. And it can be anything. And I have done a million different things. We've had Hal El Elrod on talking about the miracle morning, which is like 10 steps <laughs> to your greatest morning ever. You get up at five and all of those things. For me now, it's very simple. It's just a 15-minute meditation in the morning. That's what fills me up enough for me to get going and, and feel that juicy whatever it is. But that ability to take that time for you in that moment, whatever that looks like in that season, gives you something to start with that fills you up before you even take the step out of your bed. What do you do in the morning to fill yourself up?
1: Well, it's funny. So I have another baby at this point. We just adopted. So my morning is—it's it, funny because I've heard—I've heard people say, you know, I can't, I don't have a flexible schedule. I can't possibly pull that off. When I wake up, it's go, go, go. So I am waking up currently. I, I don't advise this, but at two a.m. Wow, two a.m. is the time that I can guarantee I will have at least. 20 minutes or or then, it's. I mean, he'll wake up at 2.30 or 3 or 3.30 or 4 or whatever. So there will be an interruption, but I can guarantee quiet generally for at least a chunk of 20 minutes if I'm waking up at that time. I don't even mind going back to bed if I'm extra tired, but I need that just 20 minutes of peace and of dark and of quiet and of calm. And that's when I write. And, and the other thing is I cannot read anything from anybody else before I write because then I'm just responding to that thought. You know what I mean? I want to be as closest to my sleep state or whatever. For me, I am who I am most, I think, when I wake up in the morning. That's
0: because your ego hasn't gotten its momentum going yet.
1: I believe that, yes. So I want to write from that place. I want to write from the place where I'm not thinking about anybody else and, and what this person would say and how this person would react and this person that I'm supposed to be representing. You know, I it, this is just me. I just woke up. I'm in my pajamas. This is me. This is what you get. And that's the place that I like to write from. So to do that, it's, yeah, it's 2 a.m.
0: Okay, what time are you going to bed now? I just have to know. Are you going to bed at 7? Like,
1: <laughs> It's about 9. I'm not getting enough rest, that's for sure. But I do... I shoot for nine and then I try to sleep when my toddler and infant are napping in the afternoon. Like I'll try to nap when they nap if it's at the same time. But it's just, you know, it's one of those, it's a season. And I'm not saying this to encourage people to work harder.
0: Yeah, you're living your values here, right? This is not about anyone else. This is just what's working for you.
1: Exactly. Yeah, this is about me just loving that quiet and not getting it and wanting it. So I'm getting it, you know, I'm just making it happen. And
0: you're not forcing yourself out of bed. Like if anyone else tried to do this, then they would probably be having so much resistance because their own intuition would be like, "Hell no, I don't want to do this right now." You're not having that. You have a hell yes, I want to do this.
1: It is the my favorite time of day. It is the best. So, yeah, if there's a listener that's like, "That sounds terrible. Should I be doing that? You should not be doing that. <laughs> don't do that."
0: But do what what brings you joy, even if it seems counterintuitive to other people, even if it seems distasteful or scary or terrible to other people. That's what's amazing is when you have your own internal alignment, you're not looking for external expectations of others to say, yes, this is okay.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Let's move from here. So you're unpacking everything. This is The Chasing Slow, which is your new book, which we're going to get into. But this is kind of the story of Chasing Slow, right? Where we're at right now?
1: It is. So we left off. I am... Um stripping everything away slowing down and that the response from the readership and I think from from my small corner of the internet is yes this is something that I want to do too and so it really resonated and it struck a chord and it's funny an acquisitions editor had contacted me and said I want you to write a book about this and I thought oh Wow, okay. Because, you know, I love writing, but I'm not, I've never been married to a subject. You know, I don't really have a cross to die on. I feel like people are malleable and seasons call for different things. And I don't love the idea of putting my stamp on something in black and white and calling it a day. So it always kind of scared me to write a book. And so, but I thought, yeah, I could write a book about slow living. This has been a really great change in my life. I could do this. And, what happened is, I to write the book, I had to live very fast.
0: To write a book about slow, you had to live fast.
1: I did. I gave myself six months, which was problem number one. That's the silliest ever. But I think in writing this book about the importance of living slow, I realized whether you're living fast or living slow, I mean, whether you're chasing it, it's still a chase. For me, I felt like I had to have slow living figured out to be able to write a book about it. and. I think I just realized, well, you're never going to have anything figured out enough to write a book about it ever. No one ever has anything figured out that much. And so writing that book, it was a hypocritical experience. I felt like a hypocrite when I would write about the importance of cooking and relaxing with your family and the fisherman story. Do you know the fisherman story? No, tell me. Oh my gosh! Well, it's not mine. I read it on a Jimmy John's poster, actually, which is funny. This was during the fast living phase. It's just the idea. It's it's called the Mexican fisherman, and it's in the book, but it's about this idea that a businessman meets a fisherman, and asks, you know, what his business is like, and he says, "Well, you know, like I fish in the morning, and then I'm I'm totally paraphrasing, by the way, and then I'm home for a lunch, and then I take a siesta, and then I enjoy a guitar and Celebrate with my family. He has like this perfect work balance, right? And so this businessman is like, well, you know, we could add some more boats, and we could hire some things out, and then you would make even more money, and then you could retire, and then you could do this with all your free time. And the and essentially the Mexican fisherman is just like, well, I already do that now. So why would I scale up when I already have my dream life now? If I retire, I would still want to do all these things. I would still want to fish home for lunch, take a siesta, be with my wife, right? So it was this, this idea that. More is never better, but more is another measurement that we're adding to define what it is that we actually want. And I found that I had really been through trying to live less was living more and that I was placing all of these standards and expectations of the curation of slow living and not actually letting myself process the slow living, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah. So one thing I have, as I've been doing a lot of deep dive into energy and vibration and human consciousness, is I've come across this idea that the universe is constantly expanding. In fact, someone that's super into science I was talking to recently said that the universe is actually expanding faster at a faster rate than ever before. And If you look at that macro level and bring it down to the micro of a human, that we're all looking for constant expansion. It's just that our egos tend to focus on the term more. So more is truly what we're here for. And you actually had that experience when we talked earlier about wanting to shift from more to slow. That was something you wanted more of, which was more slow. It's just the ego so quickly likes to say that more means more external rather than internal experiences and stuff, right? Yes. What is interesting is that even with that person's perfect life, with his work-life balance being the way it is, he's still probably in his life wanted more, just not in the external way. You know, like he was still probably expanding in his life internally and deepening his experience of life on an ongoing basis. Does that make sense?
1: Yes. Yes. And and growing, I think, as a person. and And I feel like maybe that's why... That story hit home because once you've added the boats and added the business and added all of your everything that you think you're supposed to add when you're growing, the ego thinks it is, right? Yes, by our definition. Well, then you're kind of chained to it and you're married to it and you're stuck there. And so then what now?
0: It's the other end of the stick, right? You're picking up that end of the stick and the other.
1: Yes. And I had found myself in that same space with the women's lifestyle that I founded and it was doing great and it was, they had, you know, garnered a lots of readers and was a very well-loved site and I was really unhappy writing it and so I think falling into that idea of well I love to blog so I should blog times 10 and I should found another site and make it this bigger thing with more writers and more content I just realized well that's more external things to manage but I'm still the same person you think that making those external changes will shift your internal self and they don't you're still you
0: And what's interesting is I've found in this last seven months of my deep dive into all this stuff, the opposite is true. As you deepen your internal experience, you can leverage the external, but it doesn't have to weigh on you. When you chase the external, assuming the internal will follow, this is a big theme I've been talking about, which is internal alignment before action. So having alignment before action. If you can shift that instead of saying that the actions I take will cause the alignment I want. And go, I'm going to find alignment first and then take action from there. I have more external, well, uh, more and less in different ways, but I have greater quality of life and finances and all those other things, these externals, with finding alignment first and it doesn't drain me versus yes. when we're doing it the other way around which is what society has taught us like go upstream paddle harder go faster go chart the course you think you arbitrarily and egoically often have decided you want versus finding the flow in your life and the circumstances and allowing them to unfold and take you with them in the stream
1: exactly exactly because the reality is I mean if if you were to mountain climb let's say you have to with the, with the quality of air at the top. We just hiked in the Andes mountains a couple years ago, and if someone were to helicopter you and drop you off at the at the peak, you would have a hard time catching your breath, right? Because you haven't worked up, you haven't worked there. You're and I, and I feel like that's what we're doing when we listen to society and we let other people dictate our course of action. Is we are unprepared for that course. We haven't done the work. You know, I I can change my course because someone tells me to or because it looks great on Instagram or because that's the way that you're supposed to do it. But I'm just going to end up with some broken toenails and a really rough hike. You know, that's not necessarily my path unless I feel led to pursue that path. Does that make sense?
0: Absolutely. So what did the shift look like for you when you stopped doing it that way?
1: I think for one, I always say that I felt like I cared more and I cared less. I stopped looking at what my actions looked like to others, I guess, because really I was learning that if other people can't chart my course for me, I can't chart other people's course for them. I can't assume that because they're eating their family dinner out of styrofoam or takeout that they're busy and they're living fast. Maybe they just really like takeout, whatever. I can't make it about the external factors and about the curation of their lifestyle and so I release myself from that as well. You know what I mean? It Maybe it's because of my job and because of we're always taught that we needed to brand ourselves and that to have an audience, you have to be a brand, and you have to have that brand be clear and unmistakable you. And I find a lot of danger in that because we're malleable people. You talk about flow all the time. Like we have to allow ourselves some wiggle room and some change. And I don't think. There is a be-all, end-all to what our brand should be or could be or could look like. And so I think when we sort of flatten all of those identities and we flatten the many things that we are and the abundant people that we are into what a byline or a tagline or a hashtag or whether you're on social media or not a profile, I just really stopped caring about that. And I just really stopped. It wasn't about not caring about what other people think, but it was about not caring what I think other people think.
0: Yes. Can I put it in my terms that we've been using this summer? So you found internal alignment instead of seeking external expectations. You wanted alignment and peace within you and what I would say your intuition. That's what came first rather than looking outside of yourself for a reflection of approval from your peers, partners, or parents.
1: Yes. Thank you. Okay. You should have written this book, Jess, because yeah, it was just that. And it was about because I wasn't seeking that approval or that stamp from other people, I realized it doesn't really matter if I have Tupperware in my house or if it's tinware. You know what I mean? Like needn't be a definition of what slow living looks like for the masses.
0: It sounds like you released a lot of judgment around it you're holding yourself and others accountable for.
1: Oh, absolutely. Yes, absolutely. I mean, I feel like how many times do you think you, the term minimalism, you know, you think, the first thing that people say is, oh, I can never be a minimalist. Well, What does minimalist even mean? You know, what is the definition of that? Because for me, I think that means you just, it's not, it's not about the number of stuff you have or the amount you have or what you carry in your car. It's about your attachment to things and whether or not you hold them to be, have X amount of importance or not. And that's my definition, but, but your definition could be so different. And I think It's releasing those metrics and those measurements around that conversation that allows you to truly explore the gift of the concept. You know what I mean? Like, it's what is slow living for me. Well, for me, it's, I think, what you're calling internal alignment. And it's about choosing peace no matter the circumstances. You know, my toddler and my husband are horrific maximalists. They bring crap in on the regular. And they do. I feel like I'm always, you know, wading through a sea of stuff. And that used to really be a point of contention for me used to really bother me. And I realized it doesn't bother me because it bothers me. It bothers me because I think it's counterintuitive to what I believe and who I am supposed to be, which is true. I am a true to the core by the book minimalist.
0: Isn't it selfish? Isn't this interesting? We talked about selfishness before we got in this. And you were saying I loved when you talked about selfishness in the laundry on the floor, which I've shared recently. But what you were saying is this is what's important to me. Therefore, it needs to be important to my partner and my toddler as well. And you're giving them no room to be the permission to be themselves.
1: I wasn't because it didn't fit with my own scope of importance or what I think is true or what I hold to be valuable. And the thing is I think that was a clear sign that I was placing too much worth in that. And I was finding my identity and slow living and minimalism and all of those things. So my ego was saying, you have to be this because you believe this.
0: And you're writing a book on it. I mean, look, at it's like, what would they say if they saw your house? I'm sure that's going through your ego's head, right? Yes,
1: absolutely. And in reality, that's not where my worth needs to be.
0: And also, let's just like there's like a whole double standard here that we're kind of overlooking too, which as the mother in the house, that like everything that's in your home is a reflection of you personally, and that like there's like you could still be a minimalist and have a messy house, for example, with your partner and your toddler being messy. And that doesn't mean that you are any less minimalist if your house doesn't reflect that because there are other people in it. But how much self-worth do we ascribe to the woman of the house to be the one that is the onus, whether whatever state the house is in is a direct, I don't mean this as a generalization, but it seems like that's what you're putting on yourself.
1: That's really fascinating. Yeah, absolutely. I was. Yeah. Like it's my job to keep my family in order and keep my house in order.
0: The way I want it to be ordered, not the way that has any interest in what they're interested in.
1: Yes. So for me to be internally aligned, as you would say, I had to, instead of placing my expectations on the people in my house and not truly loving them for who they are because I was so focused on and, and it would just come up in small things you know my husband would lose his wallet and I would be like well why don't you just keep it in the same spot every time <laughs> why don't you just be more organized like I have never had this problem because my wallet is always in the same spot and I only have one so yeah instead of those all of those small things leading to resentment, my harder thing was being grateful for that stuff and understanding that what I see to be purposeful and beautiful is not what they do. You know, my toddler likes putting leaves in her sock drawer and calling them nature socks. So it's the caring more and the caring less. It's that yeah, this I'm gonna not care about. Like that's not on me. That's your stuff. And that's that brings you joy and that has to be awesome.
0: Can I get in and give a new term I haven't talked about yet? Yeah. Okay, so this is, Abraham Hicks gets the credit for this, but it's allowing, it's the art of allowing. So there's two senses of allowing. There's tolerating and there's allowing. So this is, okay, nature socks. I love this, we'll use this example. So tolerating would say that I'm gonna like tolerate the fact that she has them. Okay, there's non-tolerance would say, take the leaves out of the drawer. <laughs> Tolerating would say, I'm going to allow her to keep the leaves in the drawer, but it's kind of going to irk me every time I open it. And I, I'm i going to let her keep doing it, but I'm going to not allow my emotional state to be positive while she's doing it. Every time I think about it or whatever, or my husband's wallet or the laundry on the floor, I think is even more irksome to some people maybe. Like the partner versus a toddler might be easier for the ego to get in there because they're older and know better, but that would be tolerating. So tolerating is, yeah, the idea that you're going to not stop someone from doing something. However, it will affect your emotional state in a non-positive way. Allowing is allowing the person to be there and still having the full access to your own joy because you're not defining yourself by their action. So you're allowing them to do it and you're still happy. It doesn't mean that you would live that way. It doesn't mean that you you know, want the leaves in this drawer, but you are having joy at the same time.
1: Oh, that is so good. Yes. And that is where on a good day I am finding myself through this entire journey is and and that doesn't mean that I don't set boundaries and that I don't – I mean, honestly, there are things that do still irk me like crazy. No toys on the kitchen counter. It drives me insane. That's like a thing for me that I maybe will work past in the future or maybe will not get past at all.
0: Can I stop you there? So there, you're also allowing and approving of yourself. So you said, maybe I'll get there. Maybe I won't. But either way, I'm not going to beat myself up
1: about it. Because that's the thing, Jess. Like, I think if if I would have heard the concept of allowing before, I would be like, oh, I'm not being allowing enough. (laughs) You know, I'm not doing it right. And that would then bother me.
0: And that would be you taking your joy out. It would be you saying, I'm going to tolerate my actions, but I'm not going to feel joy because I know that I'm not experiencing joy. It's like a dog chasing its tail.
1: Yes. And then I would have allowed the toys in the kitchen counter and I would be even more upset. You
0: would have tolerated them, not allowed them. Yes, tolerate
1: it. And then I think tolerating something only leads to resentment if you do it for too long and you're not and you're not being vocal about your boundaries. So, yeah, so I, I think through this journey of chasing slow, what I've stopped doing is putting a label on everything and putting a judgment on everything or putting a metric on everything where it's like, oh, I'm not allowing this or she's not allowing this. or it, it just all of those little things that you do on a daily basis that you judge yourself for that you think, I'm not living within my definition and with my value. And I think it's great to check in with yourself and to reassess things and shift them and change them. But I also firmly, firmly believe that there is a difference between changing your life and allowing your life to change you. And I think the latter is, is where that gift of abundance comes in. I think the latter is where I have found joy in sort of accepting the circumstances and just choosing to be happy regardless.
0: That's flow.
1: It is. It is. It's powerful. And it has a lot to do with, I think, where you place your identity. You know, if you are placing your identity in something that is circumstantial and something that can change, if you're placing your worth in that. Like chasing slow? Yeah. Of course, you're going to be unhappy. Of course. There's no arrival point. You don't get a trophy at the end.
0: (laughs) When you go drop off all your stuff at the thrift store, you don't get a trophy?
1: You don't. Funnily enough. So it it's that all of those things sort of lead to disappointment because you're thinking, oh, I've not got there yet. I'm not there yet. I'm not there yet. And in reality, you're there. Like you're where you need to be to learn something else today.
0: So basically, if I had to think about what we've just shared, which is, by the way, I'm just loving this so much. It sounds like if I had to rephrase what kind of happened from what you shared, it seems like you had the chasing more, chasing more, chasing more. And then there was this backlash and the ego is like, full stop screeching to a halt and it's like nope chasing slow is better this is and it was a natural an opposite reaction but it was also kind of forced in a way from an initial place of ego and it was just recalibrating in it there was some use to that but then the book is helpful for people that are in that more state that want to embrace the opposite it's like if you're all yin it's like all right it's time to do some yang or vice versa not a bad thing but eventually Neither needs to be the used at the exclusion of the other.
1: Yes. And I think it's understanding that season that you're in and resisting the temptation to label it as anything at all. Resisting the temptation to say, you know, I'm living fast or I'm living slow or I'm too busy or I'm not busy enough or it's resisting that and just choosing maybe to learn something new today.
0: What is happening right now?
1: Yeah, and just letting it be and allowing. I, I love that concept. At the end of the day, all we have is our reactions. All we have is our perception. Yeah, and not chasing anything other than what our definition of peace or acceptance might be for that day, which it's going to be different every day. And that's just the reality. And I think that's the part that we don't often think about is we're so tempted to you know, sell everything and buy a boat and travel the Caribbean or whatever. And you think, well then we'll be happy. And it can't come from that place. It can't have the external motivation behind it. It has to just I think and, and maybe that's why I have such a hard time with the Konmari aspect is I don't think you can do something in one fell swoop. I think that takes a lot of learning and relearning and relearning and making a lot of mistakes along the way. So in a sense I'm living slower than ever because I keep making so many mistakes. And that's a really great thing too. And maybe that's how I define living slow. Isn't the
0: mistakes just data and feedback?
1: Oh, absolutely. Because what you think is a mistake today won't be a mistake tomorrow. That's actually gonna be the right way to do things tomorrow. You know, it's like what's right or wrong?
0: Basically, I've been, my whole mantra for this last eight months has been, what is the universe flowing to me in the present moment? And then doing that. And maybe that's a fast moment. And maybe that's a slow
1: moment. Yeah, whenever I hear people talk about living in the present, I think that it's sometimes super woo-woo and like it's not available to everybody. And I have a certain picture that I insert. Everybody has a certain picture in their head. But it's absolutely possible to everybody. And I think it's just having self-control to choose the reaction that you believe truly reflects your value. That's living in the moment. That's the same thing. That's present tense living. It's not living in your head in the future or in the past. I mean, we just call it in our family, like not keeping score, you know, we're not going to, by you losing your wallet, I'm not going to be bringing up all the times that you've lost your wallet in the past because you don't keep it in the same place. Do you know what I mean? It's releasing all of that and choosing to react in this millisecond the way that you think is best to react for you.
0: Yes, because alignment only happens in the present moment. It doesn't happen in the future and it doesn't happen in the past. It only happens right now because alignment is following your intuition, not the ego. The intuition can only tell you its only job, it is a compass that is guiding you to the next right turn. That's it, right? It's not telling you what's gonna happen 10 steps from now. Its access is peace in the present moment and will always be able to give you that guidance And the next moment, and the next moment. And if you just build all of those moments, you will see a path appear that looking back on it, you see where it was taking you, but you don't even need to care about where it's going. Like, I don't care where my life is going in that, yeah, I have some ideas of what could be cool and I like to think about those in a positive way because I do believe that that is a way of inviting those types of experiences in my life. However, after I'm done thinking about it, then I'm back to this moment and what is the universe flowing to me? And what is the universe flowing to me? And what is the universe flowing to me? And it is so thrilling, liberating, and scary as all get out for the ego to handle. But when you do it, the course that is charted is far more meaningful, adventurous, and fulfilling than you ever could have pre-paved
1: or imagined. Oh, my gosh, yes. And that's why I love talking to you, justice, because it's like <laughs> I'll say something that isn't a sort of chopped. – I'm totally a writer, not a speaker. And then I'll say something that I believe and that's kind of work around, roundabout. And then you will say, oh, yeah, that's this. And you're really like smart words because you're right, yes. And I think that's what I always think is care more and care less. It's not about not planning for your future or not thinking about your future or not setting goals, but it's about avoiding the temptation to let those goals define you or let your ego in on those goals or I guess act from that place of achieving those goals because that's just performance, right? That's not a life, that's a performance.
0: Yes, I think so. I think if we can make them and then get out of the way and go in the flow and see where it takes us, and recognize that where the flow is taking us is far better than any arbitrary goal we've set.
1: Yeah, I believe that, I do. Do you feel like that? was like That might be
0: a jump for some people. Um, Some people may not be there or ever, and they don't have to be, but that's what I'm finding. And as I don't set those things and I'm just going with the flow, things are unfolding far better than I could have ever even set the goals for. I am surpassing any other previous expectations that I could have had that were so hard to get in the past. Now they're unfolding effortlessly because I'm not trying. I'm just focusing on my energetic level and as I am better at using that deliberately, everything that I wanted before that was so hard when I was forcing is happening without stress.
1: Yes. And it's a, it's a depleting, fulfilling concept, right? I mean, for an example, when I was doing what I thought I should be doing work-wise, which is answering all of those emails. <laughs> And the pitches and responding and making connections. And those were the things that, sure, they're great. I like the connecting part of my job. But I just wanted to write. And I just wanted to learn something. And the way that I learn is by writing. So by pushing all of those things that I thought I was supposed to be doing that were achievement-oriented and doing what my intuition loved and wanted and and was asking to learn on a logistical level, that's when my business grew even more. And it's funny. Ken – To be crass, we'll look at the tax returns and say you're doing better now than you ever were when you were blogging the right way. (laughs) I'm writing from the heart, and I'm writing what I love, and I'm doing what I love, and I'm not doing the other things that I don't love. You know, I'm not, I'm not going to hire a social media manager or be on Facebook. (laughs) Like, like those things aren't fulfilling to me, and I think it's so important to take a look at that landscape and to really unpack what has been fulfilling in the past and what might be fulfilling in the future or what what's depleting what part of your job can you just not do and i don't even mean outsourcing just not do like there is always a part of your job you can just not do honestly if it's your own job done what do you
0: not do or what do
1: you choose not to do i'm not on facebook i like that i choose not to like respond to pr pitches if it doesn't say, hi, Erin, I just, I don't answer it. That's a big step because I used to answer every email all the time. For instance, in launching this book, I'm not doing a book tour. I'm not doing big launch parties. I'm going to have a couple. I threw a dinner party in the summer when I finished my edits because that felt like the celebration to me. You know, that was the celebration. It wasn't the publishing. It was the finishing or at least the sending of it. You know, So it's a little bit about breaking the rules and not doing it the way that I guess even the publishing world thinks that it should be done because I know myself well enough to know, man, if I'm on a book tour for six weeks away from my family, I'm not going to be my best self. That's not going to be helpful to anybody at all.
0: You're not going to be in alignment. So why would you do something that will take you out of alignment? That's why your tax returns are better. It's because you found alignment within yourself and you're not living from the external expectations of what you think social media or the blogging world requires.
1: Yes. In a nutshell, yes. And I've been so blessed to have a publisher that accepts that and understands that and allows that because I know it's not the traditional way, but I love meeting people, but events in large crowds and large masses, like that's not my thing. That's just not, I would rather, you know, sit with a glass of wine and have you tell me my entire story. Like, that sounds great. Like, tell me everything about you. I would love to hear that.
0: I love this. This is such an amazing tie-in to everything we've been sharing this summer, to hear your journey with this. We've been kind of going along in, in so many ways, like swimming in similar lanes, going in a similar direction. And it's just so wonderful to hear how you've come to where you've come. So what do you think ultimately, if we had to summarize this whole pendulum swing to, to chasing slow from chasing more... Where do you think you're at now? I know this whole conversation's essentially been that, but I'd love to hear what your thought is to that question anyways.
1: (laughs) You know, I think it's about surrendering to what is. And the way that I explain it a lot is, I think there are women specifically that feel like they do too much. And then there are women that feel like they don't do enough. And then there are, I think even just from people's reaction to, say a pinterest post of a three-year-old's eight-tiered cupcake birthday banner situation with unicorns and glitter and everything people have a very visceral reaction to that and they either love it and want to do it or they hate it and feel like it's a standard or an expectation and that says to me that we are seeking something outside of ourselves that we believe will either fulfill or deplete us What I learned from writing this book and what I'm learning right now is it's not about seeking anything outside of ourself. It's not about seeking happily ever after. It's not about seeking fast or seeking slow or chasing after it. It's about seeing. And I think it's about taking a very realistic look at your life, seeing what you have, seeing where you've been, seeing where you want to be and allowing that and surrendering to that and Rather than the striving and the fast and the grit, it's just like looking at my daughter's nature socks in her drawer and seeing just leaves and nature socks in her drawer, not seeing that I must have failed her as a mother for her to have so much clutter and for her to bring in the outside and for her to do this and like not, not seeing that as a reflection of me or of her or of my parenting or of our house and just seeing it for what it is, which is that there are leaves in her drawer and she loves it and it brings her joy.
0: It's a beautiful expression of her life not being fretted or forced upon by you. And how many parents are probably thinking in that situation that, like you said, it is a reflection on them. But really, it's just allowing with joy the child to be who they
2: are.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And allowing ourselves and that same, granting ourselves that same mercy and just letting it be, not forcing ourselves into a metric or a standard or an expectation, or we don't have to be the mom that throws the big parties. We don't have to be the friend that goes to Vegas. We can be that, but we can also be other things and we can allow all of those things. And rather than this scarcity mentality of having to be just one and having to be this kind of person and this kind of person only.
0: Or even judging other people for having that birthday banner cake thing that brought them so much joy in the first place. It's just like you in the 2am, right? 2am getting up, you love that. It's like someone else's unicorn cupcake tears. It's like, let's not judge others by our own values and assume that they're right or wrong because they do or don't align with what we think is right for us.
1: Yes, which it's such a hard thing to do because we say we're not judging others. We say, oh, that's their thing. That's not my thing. Okay. Just by you saying that's not my thing, is that a judgment in itself?
0: Yes. Because actually this is, I love Amy Poehler. I love her. In her book, yes, please. She says, good for her, not for me. I think it's her, not Tina that said this. And I had so many people in life with intention, loving that phrase and everything and like getting into it, but I wanted to shift the energy around it to good for her and for me. So the not for me defines you as against this thing that's good for this other person. And you're saying, okay, I'm not gonna judge her, but like you're also kind of putting a definition on yourself, like you just said. It's like good for her and for me. We're both okay and wonderful. And I'm not defining by the not, does that make sense?
1: Well, yeah, because now you are judging yourself by that same standard and you are essentially saying I'm right and you're right and you're wrong. Yeah.
0: You're like, because what you could have said in your previous writing the book process, right, before you had this perspective, you could have said, good for her, not for me in terms of chasing more. I'm chasing slow. I'm bowing out of this. This is not for me and all that stuff. And you're just defining yourself by the opposite. Like good for them for having all that stuff in their house. Not for me. I'm a minimalist. And what you're doing is just defining yourself by the opposite, but still pegging yourself into a hole
1: just as much as the other person. Because if you would just even change that verbiage and just say, that's not my priority right now, or that's not my thing right now. I think adding that right now kind of takes away the labeling and the defining of it. And allows yourself the freedom to explore that at a later date because who says it's not going to be good for you at some point or that that's not going to be for you because it that's the thing we are our skins and our cells everything is regenerating and transforming we can't possibly place all of these limitations and expectations on who we are today and that's what i learned in writing the book is yeah i lived really slow for a season and it granted me well and that was a beautiful thing and now what now? You know, what will today bring? Who knows? Living fast is uh, it, even defining it in in those terms. You could do a lot of good by living fast. If you've got a lot of energy, then yeah, for sure. My husband, totally do it. So it it can't even be this like good for you, not for me conversation. It has to be. I like the and. We can't keep doing all of these buts. Like we can't keep putting these limitations on everything and. And trying to fit ourselves into those tiny molds.
0: Something you also said earlier was about, it's not about the happily ever after. I just had this thought of, it's the happily ever now. Happily ever now. Happily ever now. Happily ever now. What is the universe flowing to me in this present moment? Let me show appreciation for that, whatever it is. And let me flow with it rather than force against it.
1: Yes, because... When you're not thinking of all of those emotions as resistance, when you're not resisting them and you're surrendering to them, I mean, yeah, when you've got a bad day and you're like in the slums and you're upset with absolutely everything in the world, that has to be okay too. You will learn from that. Like there will be some things to learn there. And I think once we start unpacking that, then we realize how much of our ego is at play in the, in the upset as well. You know, it, But either way, it's a gift that you're going to learn.
0: It's an awareness of what you want next, All that is, is like when something crappy happens, it's just indicating to you that you want something different than what's in your experience right now. And moving into the direction of that next thing will help you feel better. And you have to have those experiences. Otherwise, there's no growth and it's boring. Yes. Like that's why we came in. We did come in for the contrast like that is a part of this and even though our ego wants to avoid all contrast forever thank you very much if you love lobster and you ate lobster the rest of your life that would get boring after probably about two weeks and you'd be like all right I want to eat something else and that contrast is what helps you find out what the next thing is it's the thing that made you go okay I've had more now I want less that contrast helped guide you in that. Then you had less and you're like, okay, now this isn't even it. All of the contrasts are actually helping us to redirect to what will feel good next.
1: Yes, I love that. And how sad would it be if I did just, I put a period at the end and made it be chasing slow is the only way to go.
0: And it could be so bored. You could be like, oh my God, I'm so sick of cooking meals at home. I just wanna go out to eat or have some styrofoam in my house.
1: Yes, no periods, only ellipsis. You can always change your mind.
0: Oh my gosh, I have loved this so much, Erin. Thank you so much. I feel like this whole conversation has been around the internal doubts or resistance. So I'm going to skip to the last question for you. What would you tell someone who's just starting out on this journey?
1: Wow, that's a great question. I think be honest. Be really, really brutally honest with what you see as your own limitations and what you want and what you have. And I think taking a really, really close look at those things and s- a, choosing to be grateful for them, either for what they are or for what they're teaching you, but B, accepting them and and letting them be, you know, it's really easy to sweep all of those things under the rug and to make them all those things that you don't like about yourself or that you don't like about your circumstances. It's really easy to sort of either change them or um, deny them, and I think there's a third way in that way is accepting them and letting them be and not necessarily letting them define you or forcing them into a part of your life or part of your story, but going on to the next thing and and moving through it rather than around it. Is that making sense? It's really, it's just really easy. I think today, especially to lie about it and to make it not even sink down enough into the depths to sit with at all. I think it's really easy to just wash it off and let it be and forget about it. But if you sit with those things that you don't like, or sit with those things that you do like, I think you uncover a lot about yourself and a lot about the direction that maybe you're intended to go. It makes
0: me think of allowing again, to go back to that, to accept where you're at and still hold joy at the same time.
1: Yeah. Well, because this life is such a it's not a given, it's a gift. It's just plain and simple. I don't feel like we can put any more variables around it. It is just a gift and, and we can't think of it otherwise. No matter the circumstance, we cannot think of it otherwise.
0: Erin, thank you so much for coming on the show again. This one has blown my mind. I hope it has benefited the listeners as well. Thank you so much for coming on the show today.
1: Thank you. I could talk to you for hours. I loved it. Thank you, Jess. And there you have it. Thank you so much
0: for listening. And Aaron, thank you for coming on the show. If you want to send Aaron a message, you can do so over on Instagram and Twitter at Aaron Lochner. And if you want to find me on Instagram, Snapchat, or Twitter, you can find me at Jess C, as in Cambridge Lively. And for show notes for this episode, head over to slash Aaron Lochner 2. And that's the number 2 there at the end. Before I share where I'm headed to next, let's talk with Sydney Mann about today's sponsor, Active.com. Sydney, thank you so much for coming on the show today.
2: Thank you for having me.
0: Awesome. So tell us a little bit about yourself.
2: So I live in New York. I'm 22. Actually, I went to the University of Wisconsin out in Madison. So I was out there for a little while, now I've been back in New York where I'm from. So I've always sort of been a big fitness person. I was an athlete all throughout high school. So it's a big interest of mine. I played basketball, lacrosse. Um, I tried a bunch of different sports. And I've actually been a dancer my whole life, which is sort of my You know, my main thing, I danced since I was seven years old and was on my high school dance team. So I've sort of explored a lot of different interests. And then going away for college gave me another chance to sort of explore who I am. But I'm back in New York now. Um, Me and my awesome dog, Cody, he's actually 13, standard poodle. Um, So I think that kind of sums me up.
0: (laughs) I love it. And you work with Active. How did you discover it?
2: Yeah, sure. So I had actually seen a lot of the ads on Instagram and Facebook. And like I said, I was an athlete and very into fitness. So it definitely struck my eye. And then I realized I had a close connection with Clara, who's the head of marketing here. And it, things moved really fast. And then I started working here pretty soon after that.
0: So what's your favorite thing about Active? And is Active for the athletes like you? Or who's it best suited for?
2: Yeah. So my favorite thing about Active is probably how well it works in my specific lifestyle. I don't have a ton of time for working out anymore. I have a really busy schedule and there's a lot of times where I truly only have half an hour. And this actually allows me to get a good workout in, in a really short amount of time, which I haven't found anything like that yet. And to answer the other question, no, I really think it's for anybody at any level of fitness. There's beginner workouts, intermediate, advanced. So I don't think, I think it's for kind of everybody, regardless of if you're you know an athlete or you've never worked out a day in your life.
0: And do you need a gym membership for this? Or once we get the app downloaded, what do we do next to get a workout in?
2: So you don't need a gym membership at all. It complements a gym membership, but you don't need one. You download the app, sign up. And when you log in, there's just a list of categories. So simple. So treadmill, elliptical, outdoor running, yoga, strength training, all the categories are right there in front of you. You choose the one that you like with a whole list of classes right underneath it. You find one that matches your skill level, the amount of time you have, even the kind of music that you like. And you go ahead and pick it and they tell you exactly what to do for an awesome guided workout.
0: So you're just listening to the coach in your ears as you're listening to the playlist at the same time. So it's kind of like you're in a spin cycle class, I imagine, and you're just kind of going along with the flow
2: of what this person's doing, whether you're at home or at the gym. Yes, that's exactly right. It's just like that. Our trainers are so awesome. You're listening to their voice the whole time telling you what to do. It's just like being in a class, but you can do it wherever you are.
0: That's fantastic. And how easy is the easy and how hard is the hard?
2: I think they all kind of range based on, you know, the trainer's specific style, but we really do try to make it so that if you, you know, if you are a beginner, you're going to get a good workout with the beginner ones. And then, you know, if you're advanced, you're going to get a really hard workout with the advanced.
0: That's fantastic. So if you want to give this a shot, you can get a free 30 day trial. Aptive is giving lively show listeners a full 30 days at Aptive.com and then clicking on the sign up button. So if you're curious on how to spell active, it's a a p t i v.com. Click on that sign up button and then enter the code the lively show, one word, the lively show to get that free 30 days. This is great for people that are traveling home for the holidays or people that are going to be away from their typical routines or are trying to start a routine in the first place. This could be a great way to do it given your current circumstances. Sydney, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Yeah, thank
2: you for having me.
0: And now for where I'm headed to next, I'm actually going to stay here another week. So I'm going to stay in London, stay in the same Airbnb that I am in. It's kind of a longer stay for me to almost be here for two total weeks, but it's something that is really nice to kind of start slowing the pace of the travel as things continue to unfold. It's something I'm looking forward to doing more in 2017 as well, I think. We'll see how it flows. Until next week, may something wonderful happen to you today.